If I'm living in a week of seven days and there's only one week that I feel like I'm myself on Saturday, eight hours, I could wear what I want, how I want, dress the way I want, be who I want. I'm living one of seven days. Like, what is that in a lifetime, right? 70 years, I've lived 10 years of the person I want to be. Why? I'm Doug Bobes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Jason Tardick. Jason is an entrepreneur, he's an investor, he's a speaker, and the host of Apple's top-charting business podcast, Trading Secrets. After 10 years of working in corporate banking, he took a detour into reality television to be a contestant on season 14 of ABC's The Bachelorette. Following his departure from the show, Jason chases entrepreneurial dreams and has been on an absolute tear to use his experiences and lessons learned personally and professionally to help reveal the secrets to success, relationships, and happiness to his massive platform that he's built. So Jason, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you so much for having me. Love that intro, man. You killed it. You absolutely killed it. <laughs> Thank you. And and so one of the things that kind of fascinates me on many levels with you is this, this idea that you have that you want to continue to improve the level of happiness that you have in different areas of your life, right? Like I know you've, you've talked about people like Rob Deerdeck who have come on your show who like measure their everything you do on a daily basis to make sure it's improving like their level of success, fulfillment, happiness, and you want to kind of emulate that. So has there ever been like looking back, like what are some things that have, that you've implemented into your life to improve your level of happiness that you thought would really move the needle in a positive way? But if you look back and you're like, man, that just made me miserable. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, that's a really, really good question. I'll give you, I'll give you one. Um, I think setting goals without like really understanding what it's going to take there. You're just putting a number out there to achieve it is just fucking stupid. And I say that because I did that the wrong way, right? So I remember uh, there was one goal I set this year. I want to make, uh, it was it was a couple of years ago. I want to make a million dollars. I want to gross or, or earn over a million dollars. And I want to have uh, a million uh, social media total followers. Now, the reason this is a stupid goal is because I have not factored anything about who I am, what I'm going to do to get there. Am I going to stay within like my moral confines? Am I proud of what I'm doing, et cetera? Because if you think about it, you want to make a million bucks this day, these days. I mean, you got OnlyFans, you got all this stuff out there. You could make, you get, you know, there's, there's easy ways to do it, but that's not who I am. That's not what I would do. I would never go that route, right? You want a million followers on social media? You could do some crazy, crazy shit to get a million followers, but you're not going to stay true to yourself. So I think putting some of these like stupid, just like number goals out there doesn't make sense. And I think drilling down, and I think you're only going to be uh, left to be put in a position where you don't feel as though you're purely satisfied. And even if you do achieve that, is achieving that really the definition of success? Is that really happiness? So after talking with Rob Deerdeck, and I was absolutely blown away when I interviewed him, but what he said essentially in summary is that he's, you know, he's bought over 17 companies, sold and exited over six. Uh, he's made over $450 million in starting businesses and exiting businesses. And so his whole thing is like, that's just not what makes me happy though. I've really found the things in my life that have made me happy and I've done it because I hired these consultants to come into these businesses, refine and make them efficient. And what I did was I hired those same consultants and said, hey, could you do that with my life? And the big takeaway for him is he found out what the things in life that were really driving his happiness. And then he was able to put an objective number to those things. So he could really correlate true happiness, not making a million dollars, not a million social followers, but things like this. How connected am I with my wife on a one to 10 scale? Did I drink today? How, how connected am I with my kids? Am I doing things that is putting my career and my legacy in the right manner today? And if I did, how would I scale it? And so when he got enough information, he was able to draw a conclusion of what is actually creating happiness in his life. And one of the things he realized is when he was filming TV, it was creating a big disarray within his family, within his connection with his wife, his connection with his kids. It was increasing his drinking. It was decreasing his happiness. So because of that, what he did was he 
changed his schedule so that only 4% of the year he's now filming TV. So he's still crushing his episodes, but he's figuring out how can I be away from, or how can I be closer to my family and doing it? And so one thing I've done lately is I created an Excel file to really uh, monitor the things that are going to drive my happiness on a scale that makes sense for who I am and what I want uh, so that I can monitor that as opposed to monitoring something like, did I make a million dollars this year? Did I crack over a million Instagram followers or TikTok followers? Now, that makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are going to get so much value out of out of you sharing that because people, they set, they set a, a goals that have no emotional value, right? Like, especially now as we're in the new year, people are like, I want to lose weight, but they don't say like, why? Like, what's the emotional reason why they want to look better, Right. Or like you were saying, like you want to build this social media following, you want to make all this money, but for what? Like who are you at your core? Because like I don't think that external success can fill us up internally. I think it can only it can, it can only make what we have better, right? So if we're feeling internally fulfilled and internally happy, us being externally successful is just going to take that to the next level. It's going to make us elevate even more. So with all that to say, like, what's one area of your life now, you know, we're in the new year, I'm sure you're, you've set some goals for yourself, that maybe something that might surprise some people in an area of your life that you're not as happy with yourself with that you're trying to work on. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think uh, a couple of the things that I'm thinking about, um, one, I'm, I'm really... Im- embarrassed with my organization. Uh, I'm a shoot from the hip guy and I plan every day out, but I'm not preparing uh, weeks and months in advance. And in a world that's becoming so competitive in the space that we're in, you have to be planning uh, that type of timeline out. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing is just reinvesting in myself. I'm, I'm relatively frugal and I've had some really, really successful years lately. And I think it really makes sense. If you want to grow and you want to scale, you got to take that money and you got to put it back into yourself. And the thing is, is I recognize I'm a bit of a micromanager and it's for only the purpose that I have this like kind of pursuit of perfection. And I feel as though if I'm managing people, they're not going to get it done the way I want to do it. So I'm doing it myself. And instead of that, I got to be a better leader. And some of the things I'm telling myself uh, with my team is that I have to be a differentiated leader. I have to go into every single day and, and explain the picture that we're trying to achieve and why we're trying to achieve it and it's the different tactics we could do to uh, achieve this pursuit of perfection. Because if you're not meticulous in this space, if you're not differentiating yourself, if you're not organized, if you're not executing every single day, you are going to fall behind the eight ball. So, so those are some of the things that I really need to focus on, clean up, and are our big priority. And it's more theme. If you notice, I just told you themes. These are things I'm working on that are themes, not necessarily uh, specific you know, numbers or numerical objective things. I didn't just tell you that I'm trying to uh, do $500,000 of deals in the first quarter. I didn't tell you that I'm trying to, you know, lock up a, a huge bank partner for the first six months. The themes, if I can nail those, all that other shit will come. Every single bit of it will come. And the themes will t- keep me focused every day as opposed to feeling let down. Well, I'm going to run 10 miles a week. Well, you know what? Things happen. Sometimes you can't do that. But every day, those are the themes I'm focusing on. Yeah. And I think it gives you a larger margin for error too, because now you've got this bigger bucket that you're shooting for and not just this one tiny bucket where you're just basing your success solely on this one bucket, right? So if you're trying to, for instance, like you were mentioning, investing more in yourself, you're like, all right, I want to make so much this year that I'm able to you know, hire a team of like 50 people, right? And that's your only goal. Well, let's just say that things don't go so well and then that's your goal and you only hire 30 people, then then you're going to view that as being unsuccessful. But if you say, I want to invest more this year than I did last year, or I want to invest 20% or whatever the number is and you be more generic about like going that direction, then you you have more control over like the outcome of that situation. Right, exactly. And I think the one thing too is like, I have a lot of confidence that if in tw- if in a in a day to day period I'm 
giving my best output in an organized way and I'm showing up to compete every day, I feel good about the wherewithal I have to get to the 50 or 100, 150 people. The question is, am I doing that? And that's one thing I'm also focusing is like every day am I competing, not against you, Doug, not against Gary V, against myself. Am I being the best version of myself every day? And when I'm not, what am I doing tomorrow to make sure that I'm adjusting it to be that person? Right. Let's talk about comparison for a second, because you just touched on something that I think a lot of people struggle with, especially in this day and age where everybody's lives are consumed by social media. Like people are now becoming influencers as a profession. They are now, they have podcasts that are online. And I know both you and your fiance, Caitlin, are very active on social media and have a pretty substantial platform. How do you, how do you specifically um, I guess as a couple, because you both are involved with it, like handle comparison, like seeing other couples, what they're doing, maybe they're, they've already had two kids. Maybe they have a house that you want. Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough to, when you're in the public eye in any way, of course, those things come your way. Uh, trolls come your way. They'll put down your looks, your career, what you're doing, how you're doing it, what you're saying. Um, and and it, it just comes with the territory. And for a long time, those things kind of beat me up. Also, the competitive spirit of what you said, like, what are some of our peers doing and why aren't I doing it as well? I think one thing you learn quickly in anything, whether it's your friends, it's your family, it's your partner, or it's people that are colleagues, people in the same circle or industry, if you are getting envious or you're using their success as a means of building frustration or stress within yourself, it's really going to lead to like a volcanic disruption. It's going to create so much toxic stress. And so I think with all that is those are actually the people that could change your lives. When you're looking at colleagues that you're envious of, that person could change your life. Why? Not because you're benchmarking what they are, but they can be, you know, that could be a motivational tool. That could be inspiration to make yourself the best version of you. Just because the person within your franchise or your, your, your work or your employer is doing something better than you doesn't mean that you can't do something that's the best version of you. And I think, I think that is something that's important is like, you actually have to go seek those people out. You have to like those people that you see them doing it and you're like, I could do it. You know what? I got to get going. And you're not using it as a benchmark. You're using it as inspiration and information to keep channeling the best you. So that's something uh, we try to really focus on and just focus on us as opposed to everyone else and all the noise that comes with anything. Because whether it's public eye or you're in a, a company with four employees, there's noise. And all it takes is one person to create noise. And, and we're all like guilty of paying attention to it when it comes our way, right? But I think the what can separate the good from the great is being aware of that and then implementing different you know, coping strategies or um, ways of dealing with that so that it doesn't like, it doesn't fester and go on longer than it needs to. So I, I guess like my next question for you is this, is you seem like a pretty confident guy. Like you seem like somebody who carries himself very well, personally, professionally on your podcast. Like, have you always been this confident? Like, or if not, like, where did you develop the skills to build this self-confidence um, in the way that you appear and the way that you handle yourself personally and professionally? Yeah, I think I was like a glass building for most of my life. And so I think for most of my life, I like from the outside, it might have looked and appeared that I was very confident and extroverted. And especially when I was in that corporate America role as a banker, I mean, you told me where to go and how to go. I'm there. I'm dressing sharp. I'm acting the part. I'm sitting upright. I'm saying the right words, all the corporate bullshit lingo. Uh, I exceeded all my expectations. Like that was it. But the thing is, is that whole entire image and look and feel was built on glass. And eventually, and for anyone, if it's built on glass, it will break. And I broke, right? And and I was, you tell me where to go, I'll go. And I was at 29 years old. I was in uh, Rochester, New York. I was asked to move to Seattle, right? 3,000 plus miles. Didn't know one person across the country. All my family's on the East Coast. And I was like, I'll go. Sure, let's go. Didn't know anything. Moved out there. Just kept saying yes, 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 yes. And I hit a point where I was like, insanely depressed. And I was doing anything and everything to escape from the reality of what I was living in my nine to five. And I was living my title, my life, my job, my corporate mission on my sleeve every day. And when I came home and took that suit off, I don't know, I just was lost. And inevitably, that's really 
what led me to go on The Bachelorette. Like everything on paper was perfect. Like I told my parents, I'm going to go on a reality show. They're like, are you out of your damn mind? What are you doing? Well, I was looking for any escape because my confidence and my title and my image and my look was all built on this bullshit glass uh, infrastructure. And I went on the show and that glass broke. I mean, the whole thing shattered when I went on the show. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. This includes Organifi green juice, which I am now using in my smoothies, either after a workout or for a great on-the-go snack. It's loaded with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Cutting down on caffeine is a big initiative of mine as we head into the new year, and Organifi's red juice is gonna help me do just that. It's basically a superfood fruit punch that gives me a jolt of energy without the caffeine, and it only has two grams of sugar. If you aren't into smoothies, don't worry. Organifi products are super easy to mix, and you can add one scoop to a glass of water. So go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. Finally, I did what I wanted to do as opposed to what my boss wanted to do and my company wanted me to do and my parents wanted me to do and my teachers wanted me to do. I did something for myself. And with that, I think became a new foundation, like tearing a house down. And now I feel as though my foundation's as rock solid as it's ever been. I don't have a piece of glass in this building. And I feel so confident in, in who I am and what I do and what I say and why I say it. But that came from literally 10 years of my life uh, trying to put on a front to someone else and working endlessly to escape that when I didn't have to have that front done. Wow. Amazing, man. And thanks for, for sharing that. And it, it just seems like you were saying that you put a lot of emphasis in what other people think of you and how much money you're making and success that you had at this job. And then you go to the ultimate thing where there's tons of external validation and people like looking at your appearance, how you act, how you dress, what you say. And then that, that glass building completely shatters. And then now you've gotten to a place, like you said, where there's no glass in the building. Like, what were some of the things that you had to address, like internally, to kind of rebuild yourself from the inside out, so that, like, you you built this, you rebuilt this house that was in a healthy way that was able to, like, manage day to day life without, you know, being susceptible to, to breaking. Yeah, I think the first thing I did was I got comfortable with um, saying what I wanted to say as opposed to what. I got comfortable, I'm sorry, yeah, saying what I wanted to say as opposed to what I thought people wanted to hear. Um, I got comfortable with talking about my emotions. I got vulnerable with admitting and, and, and showcasing my flaws. I got comfortable and did a ton of self-work on just who I am and understanding why I am what I am. I've gone, you know, I've, therapy and, and working on myself uh, day in and day out to just be in a position where I'm just comfortable with what I'm doing and who I am and where I'm coming from. Uh, I'm self-aware to understand like where my flaws are and what I need to continue to work on. Uh, I can, I can own my insecurities at time. I have, you know, identified certain things that trigger me to put me in a position where I'm not my best self. And so I think that all comes from being real with yourself. And I think for so many years, I just wasn't honest with myself. Uh, and I remember I, this was a moment actually that was like kind of a breakdown for me. And I'm on The Bachelorette and it's week two. And you know, all the interviews I'm doing, I'm, you know, I sound like a politician. Hey, Jason, oh, I'm great. No, so tell me about you. Like, what about like your love life? Ah, oh, that's fine, girl. You know, didn't, things didn't work out. We're here though. I'm so excited to be here. I'm looking for love. Well, you know, tell, like, did you ever have a hard breakup? Well, breakups are tough, but with breakups, you know what? There's two sides to every story and it's okay. We fully respect each other and we're here today and that's what's great. And she just, the the producer cut the, cut the kiss. She's like, all right, we're done. I was like, what? Did I do something wrong? And she just turns off. She tells the camera to stop rolling. The lights are off everything. And she just looks at me and she's like, you're pretty broken, huh? And I was like, what do you mean? 
And I like started to like, my heart started to sink. I'm like, what do you mean? Are you catching on to something? She's like, I've never had someone ever like work so hard to convince me that everything in their life is perfect. And so if that's the case, like, I don't know how, like what there's to talk to you about. And it just kind of all hit me. I'm like, oh shit. And it had me thinking and you know what? For all those years of that last breakup that sucked, I didn't really address it. And uh, for things that have happened in my life that I need to work on, I was putting it off. And that was a big moment for me because I started to kind of connect for the first time in a while, like where my little rational brain thought the reality was and where the rest of myself actually was. Dang, man. So that kind of, the glass building cracked pretty pretty good, huh? Leave it to a bachelor producer. <laughs> Leave it to the bachelor producer. And, and I think it takes a, a lot of humility. It takes vulnerability. It takes a lot of courage to, to come off that show when you're riding high. I mean, I know you didn't end up winning that season, but it was still a major career accomplishment for you to build a platform, to make connections, to you know eventually now meet your fiance, all kind of through the bachelor network to say, you know, like, I don't have it all figured out. Like, I need to readjust like personally and professionally and and do what actually makes me happy. And I know one of the things that has helped you is is mentors in your life. You seem like a sponge for information. Like I've heard you on multiple podcasts and you're always bringing up either different people that have mentored you in your life or different guests you've had on your podcast. Like have you always been somebody that's been had this yearning to learn whatever you could or is this something that just happened recently with the podcast or since the bachelor bachelorette? Yeah, I think what I did learn at at an earlier age is that the people that achieve greatness, if you listen to like great storylines, it comes through, you know, one of two things, in my opinion, even authors, right? Books that are being written or movies that are done. It comes from unbelievable credibility in research within a specific niche, right? You have some of the best professors in the world, or you have a guy like Elon Musk, who's one of the best engineer to ever walk the planet. And you have these people that have such credibility, or you have people that have unbelievable experiences. And even like some of the best books out there are your average Joe who will spend 30 days with a Navy SEAL, like showcasing their experience and what they learned as an average person and how they can do it and how you can do it, Doug, and how I can do it. It becomes relatable. And I think I quickly identified in my life that I am not your expert. I am not your Elon Musk. I'm not your Harvard 1600 student. But what I can do is I can really listen and learn. And I have a skill set to be able to listen to learn and then regurgitate in a very simplified way for the masses to understand. And so that's something that uh, I've, I've really identified after being on the show when I had this platform, just explaining simple things like, you know, I, I, an example is I pulled my audience on Instagram when the Dow Jones was crashing. crashing. I've told this story before in 2020. And Every headline was Dow Jones is a mess, Dow Jones is down, Dow Jones is down. I said, how many of you guys actually know what the Dow... Like right now, I put you on the spot right here. Doug, you tell me. Can you explain what the Dow Jones is in two sentences? And so literally, I pulled that to my audience and 91% of 250,000 said they couldn't. And so I put a quick video together of just breaking down the basics of the Dow Jones uh, simply like as an index. And I use an example of like every one of us goes to the doctor, right? And if we're not feeling well, what do they do? They check our vitals, they check our temperature, our blood pressure, our heart rate, because those vitals give us an indication of how our body's working. Does it tell us everything? No, but it just gives us an idea of how the body's working. You know, that's what a big index like the Dow Jones is. And it started to click. And so I think through my experiences with all these interviews and the things I'm doing, I'm really trying to hang with the experts. I'm trying to get as much information I can from them, where they make their money, where they lost their money, where their lessons were learned, how they got to where they are. And from that, extrapolate lessons that I could bring to the masses and to my audience. Yeah, well, that's awesome. And you do have this like crazy skill set to be able to, to do that in a way that's easily digestible. And I think that's why you've been able to create this brand so quickly, like from that, because let's face it, like the finance market is is really saturated and there's a lot of people talking finance, but I think you do it in such an average Joe Jane way in the way you um, convey it to your audience that like 
anybody can can understand like the basics, the finance basics when you talk about it. And I think that's an awesome skill that you have. Um, I want to get into your relationship with anxiety. I know anxiety and you have had this dance for for quite some time. I've seen you post pictures with you and your dog, like while you're you know getting a shot and stuff like that. And I know you've you've been on medication for anxiety. Um, where did it start to manifest for you? Was it something that started when you were a teenager? Did it start when you when you were became unhappy with your job? Like where did it begin for you? Yeah, that's a it's a another great question. And I have a book that's coming out and it's called The Restart Roadmap. And it's a little memoir uh, from all my lessons from behind the scenes of reality TV to in the corporate offices of some of the most powerful executives in the world while working and lessons I learned and how people can kind of restart their path, whether it's as significant as changing everything in their industry or just making slight adjustments to their day-to-day routine at work. Um, but the reason, uh, one of the things I talk about in the book actually is that I I always had this weird situational anxiety with needles. Bizarre. Go to the doctor, get a shot, hated it. Get blood tests, that was my thing. Just hate it. But then there came a point in my career where the situational anxiety started to become generalized anxiety. And there was no more correlation between going to the doctors and white coat syndrome and what I was facing on a day-to-day basis. And it was constantly escaping and trying to be what I thought I had to be as opposed to what I wanted to be. And that all caught up. And so that generalized part, generalized anxiety really hit me hard uh, during some of the points in my career where I knew I needed to change. I knew I wanted to change, but I felt as though the right thing for me or the right look for me or what my parents wanted or what my grandparents would think or what my friends would think would be not to change. So I never did change. Um, and ways I would cope with that was, you know, a lot of therapy, uh, medication, um, drinking, um, and then just escaping from what I was doing and the ways that, uh, one should address those of course, therapy, uh, medication when prescribed by a professional. And I think the big thing, like one of the best things I do now is just exposure therapy, like expose yourself to those situations, get in those situations, live in those situations. The more exposure you have, uh, the more kind of like mental strength you build up. And there's so many different tactics people could use. You got to use what you think is right for you. But there's, um, Caitlin is huge on meditation, um, you know, you got to figure out what is, what is your answer, but yeah, it's been a wild ride. And I would say as far as like my anxiety today, uh, it's at the lowest levels it's ever been. And I do think that's because I'm living kind of like my true self personally and professionally. And I think that, um, that situational anxiety with the needles and stuff, that'll be here forever, but I'll uh, continue to work on it. Yeah. Anxiety is one of those things, right. That's always... I think going to be there for, for people because we are human and life does happen. And, you know, when uncertainty hits or you get into a fight with your partner or something happens with your family or business, I'm going to go on with these different examples. Like you're going to feel anxious. And I think what counts isn't necessarily whether or not the anxiety comes. It's like, well, how do you respond to that? And there's so many people, Jason, that when anxiety strikes their first, Uh, move is a like to feel shame like why am I feeling this way I shouldn't be anxious like other people aren't feeling this way this must not be normal or or in combination with that like I need to get rid of this feeling as fast as I possibly freaking can so I'm gonna drink I'm gonna drug I'm gonna you know eat I'm gonna spend and then that creates these unhealthy patterns that can just be the new normal for people so that they never really understand that the anxiety is manageable and there's things you can do on a day-to-day basis to help that. So other than staying like connected to yourself internally and exposing yourself to different things that kind of make you um, fearful or anxious, like what are some of your daily habits that you think set you, set you up for success, like for your mental health, for your anxiety, for your stress levels and depression? Yeah. So some things that I, I do, uh, as I really try and focus on what I can control, you know, uh, I, I think that, I think one thing you just hit on was really important. I even wrote it down here is the shaming thing is so real. Like anytime I have like an anxiety attack or I get anxious or I have those situations anxiety, I feel so you feel shameful and embarrassed. And number one is don't feel that way because there is it's so likely that someone to your left and your right feels the same way and you're human. And I think opening up about that stuff, 
stuff is what's going to help create the, the greatest success and, and cure and work on yourself. Um, some things that I do, though, that really help me are the night before the day, I usually will plan my day. So I will work, uh, you know, as I'm like getting ready for bed, I'll focus on my next day as I'm going to sleep. So there are no worries. There are no alarm scares. There are no concerns about, oh my God, I didn't realize I had the podcast with Doug, right? Like I was, I knew about the podcast uh, well in advance. I, we, I know our team asked for questions you might ask. Those are things that for me personally, I like to do, be prepared. Um, so you have to identify, I think, what is going to help you reduce your anxiety and, and things like that. And for me, it's being prepared. Uh, something I do every morning is I run. I run and I work out. If I'm not exercising, uh, I, I feel instantly depressed or I feel kind of like a little shame in myself, like, oh, I could have done things better. And then um, the other thing too, I've gotten pretty good at, and I'm really working at getting better at is unplugging later at night. Like I like to work, I enjoy to work, but if you're, if I'm not connecting, even as like simple things, if I'm not connecting with my dogs, if I'm not connecting with my fiance, if I'm not connecting with the people that mean the most to me, my family and friends, I've start to notice that happiness levels go down and stress goes up. So just kind of time blocking and, and making sure I'm prepared for every single day are things that, uh, things that I work on. How about you, Doug? What do you do? Is there anything specific you do to kind of help you in the day-to-day grind? Yeah, well, so like younger, when I was younger, I used to have crazy amounts of panic attacks like daily because I was doing a bunch of drugs. And, but my go to coping mechanism of self, as I was anxious about life, it would be snort painkillers. It would be to do cocaine, which of course was like the opposite of what I wanted because cocaine would make me go off the walls with anxiety. It was to eat like until I threw up, like I'd eat like a whole cheesesteak and a pizza because I was just so anxious. I needed to eat my emotions. But then like one of the craziest things that helped me was I was incarcerated back in 2008 and I learned how to reattach behavior to emotion when I was there. And I was completely anxious. You know, I had completely detoxed from all the drugs that I was on and my cellmate got me to start working out. And that's what started my fitness journey. So in there, there was nowhere for me to go. Like I couldn't go get drugs. There wasn't like I can go eat pizza or on demand or all the other things that I was using to cope before. So I had to learn to be with myself, like completely raw. And fitness was the, was a catalyst for my transformation. I started with doing one push up, could barely do one for my knees, and then was able to do like a set of ten and run a mile by the time I left. And that was pivotal for me because I developed this habit and my these habits and my my brain like changed. So when I got out, when I got anxious, I would go for a run because that was like my new normal because I knew that helped me. And now um, it's obviously a staple in my routine because of what I'm doing now. But it's also was the inspiration for me to look at other areas of my life and say, okay, like, how are my, how are my friends impacting me? Like, are they making me more anxious? Are they really helping me to become a better person? Like, what are my nutrition habits? Like, like, what is my purpose? Like, what's my mission in life? And it all started with just a simple fitness hack that built like my confidence from the ground up, if you will, that then just became like stepping stones for the mountain I'm continuing to climb now, but some things now that have helped me like in day to day, like I'm talking like right now is, you know, meditation's key. I think controlling the controllables, I think you alluded to that. Um, I think having like a mentor in my life, like calling a friend who's been there for me or somebody that I look up to when I'm going through a, t a hard time, they can kind of either check me if they're like, Doug, you need to like say you're sorry, you need to change direction or somebody to kind of lift me up and be like, dude, stop beating yourself up. Like, it's just like one, it's just one girl or it's just this, or it's just that. Like, and, and the, the biggest thing that I think has helped me is just being of service. You know, it's getting on the podcast and interviewing people like yourself or on social media and just trying to inspire other people. And, and that tend that tends to help me as well. So I go on and on with stuff, but that like in a nutshell is, is the foundation of what helps me kind of stay sane when I'm going through tough times. Yeah. And I think that something that's just really important is that I believe there are too many people out there that try to create cookie cut 
cutter ants, uh, answers and then monetize those through like, you'll see people selling like, here's your 10 day trial, or here is the seven steps that you must do. And while some of those are effective, I think like when you just, when I just listened to part of your story, Doug, and you've heard some of my story, I think the biggest thing is that every person, and if you're listening to this, is like the only person that can answer what's going to reduce your stress or anxiety and make you happier and put you in a better position. Uh, position to show up every day for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for your work, for your finances, is you looking in the damn mirror and understanding what it is that could be done to help your specific scenario, right? You identified that you were overeating, that you're using drugs, you're in jail, like you had to figure out how to do one push up. You know, someone might be hearing this and saying like, I got to figure out how to get to my 500 push-ups, Or someone might have heard you say, I need to, Doug could run a mile. I can't literally walk downstairs to my chair. So everyone's going to have different things that they have to do. But the thing is, is are you or are you not going to put in the work to do it? Or are you going to wait till you fall on your face? Because it seemed like in both of our situations, Doug, definitely different. We both fell on our face and that's what it took us to figure it out. And for those listening, are you going to let yourself fall on your face or like, are you going to start working today to make sure that doesn't happen? Because the restart and the reboot, it's a lot easier if you could do it before you're at rock bottom. Yeah, I, I never encourage anyone to do what I did or even it seems like do what you did. And because like, let's face it, like you either have to attach a why to your goal or what you're doing right now, or life will attach it for you. So if you're listening to this and you're somebody who has been putting off taking care of your health, like really get clear on why you want to make that change. If you're going to make that change before you have the heart attack, before you have the stroke, before the doctor tells you you have diabetes, now you got to go on medication before it starts to impact your job or your relationships. And I can't emphasize that enough. And you, you touched on something that I think is really important for, for people to, to hear. And that is like, you have to do what works for you because there is, there's a lot of noise out there on do this seven day transformation, do this 10 day thing and do all these things. And, and yeah, I can, we can talk to, I mean, I've interviewed some neuroscientists on here about anxiety and we've talked about habits and what to do, but in reality, like you can only do as much for what works for your experience. Like Jason can only share from what's works for his experience. I can only share from my own experience. Like, and that's an important take home message um, for that. So when it comes to like your relationship with Caitlin, I know one of the things that can make people very anxious is when they're in a relationship and let's just say they feel insecure because their partner's having more success than them. Maybe their partner is just continues to get promoted and they're not. Like, and I know in your dynamic, um, I would think that it just looks like Caitlin, maybe on the outside at least, has had more success, right, with some of the stuff that she's been doing. But it seems that the whole time you've been so supportive, you've been so secure in that relationship. So what have been some of your best practices in making that happen? Yeah, so some of the best practices are that, like, first and foremost, when you're in a relationship, you're in a partnership, and especially when you enter marriage, you're now in a business partnership, right? That is literally a business entity. And so if anybody is in a business partnership or you're in a partnership or you have been, what are you doing every day to make sure you're bringing your best self for you and your best self for your partner? And so if my partner is kicking ass and taking names, it's only going to help her and it's only going to help me. So why would I not do everything I could do to possibly help her? Um, and so one of the things is that I think what you have to do is really check your ego because uh, there's things that Caitlin is extremely successful at and there's things that she is really bad at. And so her strengths are my weaknesses and my weaknesses are her strengths and we complement each other well. And so if you measure success uh, on fame... Yeah, Caitlin's got a lot more fame than me. And if you measure it on dollars, you know, uh, you know, last year made seven figures, but yeah, I, you know, you can make your assumptions. I don't like to talk about what Caitlin's finances, but it depends how you measure success. And so, uh, fame and money, she's kicking ass. Uh, and creativity, she's kicking ass. Some areas where like she completely struggles, like how to manage her finances, what to do with it, how to make money on her money, getting investments. And those are things that I could help her with. And so uh, I think the thing is, is like, it's a, it's a partnership. And for me, I'm not intimidated or upset or frustrated at all with her success. I'm super excited about it. The 
I think the success in allowing that is that we support each other's overall professional success. I want to be successful at what I'm doing. She supports me doing that. She wants to be successful at what she's doing. And I support her to do that. And I think some of the big issues in relationships and and just looking at some of my own and the people that I've talked to, it's that when you have someone who is achieving more success, maybe more fame, maybe more monetization, maybe more impact, maybe more notoriety, and that power is used to their advantage and they're using it as leverage and it becomes toxic. And to me, that's unacceptable. If someone makes more money in a relationship or someone has a bigger title or more fame or more notoriety, that does not give that individual leverage or a pass to be uh, abusive or disrespectful or, um, you know, something you wouldn't want in someone else. And I think you see that more often than not. And just because like, let's say there is a, your, your classic example, uh, which is obviously starting to change significantly, but you have a full-time working husband and a stay-at-home mother. And people talk about that full-time working husband coming back. Well, I'm making the money. I'm doing this. If you can't see the unbelievable value that your wife is bringing to you every day in that situation, taking care of these kids, raising these kids, educating these kids, uh, taking a lot of things off their, your plate so that that person can go to work. You're, it's, it's toxic. And so I think identifying the value you guys bring to each other and having an appreciation and supporting it is massive. And there's going to be ups and downs, right? There's going to be years that Kayla is going to make way more than I am. And there will be years that I'm going to make way more than her. And that's just like how things roll. And so if you are intimidated by your partner, it's going to quickly be very ugly and it can get toxic quick. Jason, you touched on something that is a game changer and I'm so glad that you did. And that's why I specifically said like externally, it would seem that Caitlin is more successful, right? Is that you have to define what what you measure success to be, right? And you're going to have different strengths and different weaknesses in the relationship. And it just reemphasizes the importance of working on yourself so that because if you're putting all of your hopes and dreams in the success of who you are in external validation, in fame, in money, in notoriety, then you're going to be very sad in a relationship where somebody has more followers than you, where someone's making more money, where someone's on the headlines more than you, because your definition of what it means to be successful solely rides on that. But now that you've done the work on yourself and you've internally validated who you are as a person to know that, yeah, that stuff's cool. And for her, that's, I mean, she's creating impact and obviously she's doing other things than just becoming famous. Like now you have a a better foundation in the relationship because that kind of stuff isn't going to bother you nearly as much as somebody who puts all their hopes and dreams in external validation. Yeah. And it goes back to that, that first conversation we started about like benchmarking yourself to others, looking at social media and like saying, oh, I go, you know, look at what they have and what I don't have. Also, like, let's go through this practice. Let's look Caitlin as an example. She's got more followers than me and her podcast gets more downloads than me, period. So how can I compare myself to her though? She is a woman speaking to women every day about women struggles and embarrassments and empowerment. Caitlin is super funny and witty. I'm not. Like, how could I ever put myself in her shoes? There are skill sets, again, that I have that she can never do. She can never sit here and talk about a balance sheet or P&L, talk about how to make money on your money, talk about some of the corporate struggles. And, and she, you know, those are things like she doesn't know about. But I can never do the things she does. So why the hell do we live in this world where we're like benchmarking ourselves against people that have completely different skill sets and different demographics and different audience and different ability to connect with certain people based on what their demographic is? It's, it's idiotic. Right. So I think one thing that everyone needs to do is like, look at things, look at people that inspire you and think about what they do. Bring it back to yourself and like, what's your it factor? Like, what do I do better than anybody else? Imagine you're talking to an agent because this happens a lot in our world and an agent interviews and they want to talk to you about maybe it's a show, maybe it's a podcast, maybe it's a, a brand deal. And you look at the agent and they say, they'll ask you, what's your story? And why are you better or what is better about you than the other 7 billion people in this planet? Like that's your answer. And whatever those things are, refine and practice and deliver 
on your differentiated value. And don't ever look anywhere else to be envious of what someone's doing that you aren't capable of doing, right? Yeah. I mean, success leaves clues, right? And that's why I think it's so important to surround yourself with people that um, bring the best out in you and also not to be the smartest person in the room. Like that was a that was a hard truth that I had to swallow um, early on in, in my career was the comparing myself to other people in the fitness space. And then I felt that I always had to be the, the best in the room or I, it was hard for me to talk to people who were more successful than me because that me- meant that I felt inferior and I had to go back and do a lot of inner work and work on my own self-confidence. But now, like if I'm the smart, if I'm the smartest person in the room, Jason, I'm bored, dude. I'm like, I got to get out. And, and because you become th- that person, they help elevate you. And I think the other thing that you brought up that is super valuable for for people to hear is to just run your own race, like run your own race. Like you, you mentioned what Caitlin's audience is focused on and what she's doing. You mentioned what you're doing. And it's so important to focus on that because the minute you try to shoot at someone else's target, like you're going to miss every single time. It's just the way it is. Every single time, 100%. So you talk about the importance of making a good first impression. I've heard you speak about this and that um, it's so powerful to make a – the first time you meet somebody to really wow them and, and, and win them over. And I, you kind of did that, I think, in your career on reality TV. That was something that you kind of were known for in a way. Like what have been – what's like your best tips for somebody who's trying to make a first impression on a date, in a business meeting, maybe they're meeting with an agent like you just said. Like what kind of things could uh, should they focus on? Yeah. So this is a great one. Uh, And this is actually one of the full chapters in the book is first impression, because the power of a first impression is so, so imperative. And there are studies out there that say, if you mess up your first impression, it takes seven acts of remedy to make up for a missed first impression. So you start to learn that in every walk of life, whether you're meeting someone at a coffee shop, you're going on an interview, you have a date, or somehow you end up walking out of a limo to a bachelorette with 30 other guys behind you that have resumes that are stacked. I mean, guys that started Venmo, guys that are in the NFL, MLB, you got one shot to make a first impression and you better nail it. And it just comes with preparing. Like, what are you doing to be fully prepared from the way you look, from the way that you speak, from the message that you're trying to articulate and knowing yourself? But most importantly, first impressions, in my opinion, they're not about you. It's about the person that you're interacting with. And so, so many people are so focused on themselves and they forget that when you're making a first impression, it's not about you. And so doing the research to understand who it is that you're connecting with and what their interests are and what defines success to them and how you're adding value to their cause is so, so important. I think a one good tip, I just had uh, someone on uh, who grew a, uh, grew their social following significantly, significantly over the last year. And their, their best takeaway, their best tip is they researched all of the different big social media followings out there of people in their industry that could actually benefit from the content they were doing. And so what they were doing was making content so that these big brands, these big pages would want that to use it because it would help them. And so this person made a first impression on some of the biggest brands out there. And what did all those people do? Not only did they want the content, they needed the content, they shared the content, and inevitably, this person ended up growing significantly. So it's amazing the return you'll get when you're making a first impression, when you don't make it about you, and when you understand what's going to be value, what is success to the person uh, on the other side. Preparation is key. It's been a theme, right? In our conversation is preparing, you know, to reduce anxiety, preparing helps you build confidence, preparing helps you make a great first impression. And you're right. It's like the worst thing is like when you meet somebody for the first time and all they do is talk about themselves, they ask you like zero questions, or you can tell that this person like didn't even know who you were. And it's such a turnoff, right? And there's no better way to show somebody that you're interested in, in building some sort of connection, whether it's personally and professionally, then to do a little research, find out where they're from, find out what they're into hobby-wise, ask them a few questions to kind of build that relationship before 
like spouting off like what you want out of that relationship, especially if you're, you're trying to connect with somebody who you think could help you or you think has more of something that you want. Yeah, for sure. And think I think you just go back and a lot of times reverse engineering is just extremely successful as you're trying to learn and coach yourself. Think about some of the worst first impressions you've ever endured and what those people did and what the result of that was, right? I, I'll give you one example. I had someone on the podcast, very well known. He comes on, we're excited to have him. His team was excited to come on. Before the podcast starts, he says to me, uh, what's the name of the show again? No problem. Told him. And he's like, so like, uh, how many listeners again do you get an episode? Like very snarky. And I was just like, I mean, literally within 10 seconds, I couldn't stand the guy. And it was the by far the worst podcast I've ever had. Cut it off short. It was done. And first impressions, think about the people that have negative first impressions to you. What did they do? Came off condescending, came off arrogant, came off unprepared, came off as that uh, I was, uh, he was doing me a service. And all those things, when I'm trying to make a first impression, I'll do the opposite. Yeah, for sure. I had I had a very similar experience on my podcast um, before and, and it, it kind of went that way as well. And yeah, that's the especially like I mean, to me like in that situation, like that should all kind of, you you don't ask that like when you're on a when you're on the show, and it's like to me it's like if I'm like trying to go on a podcast, the mission of me going on a podcast is to serve that your like if I'm coming on your podcast, it's me coming on to serve your audience because if I serve your audience, it helps you, it helps strengthen our relationship because now you have more listeners, now your listeners are writing into you and like wow, Jason like. That guy, Doug, like he like did X, Y, and Z. Like, I'm so thankful you had him on. Like I learned this and that. So for me, if knowing that I'm going to research what your show is, who your audience is, what kind of questions you ask. And I, and I can go on and on with these different examples. And at the end of the day, if what I'm looking to get is maybe more people to listen to my podcast or more people to buy my books, like they're going to do that if they like me and they feel that we had a good conversation. Mm-hmm. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. And this another uh, like correlation to like one of the conversations we already had was I think one of the things too about people and making changes. We talked a little bit about how people are making changes and how they're doing self work and also first impressions. Like someone might be hearing this and be like, "Yeah, I'm not going to do all that. I'm not going to prepare." My and my response to that is that's fine. Like you don't want to exercise or like if you want to eat unhealthy, uh, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you don't want to do the work to make in first impressions, you don't care about coming prepared and hoping that someone is impressed or, or liked you or enjoyed the conversation. That's fine. In those situations, I just tell those people, like at least identify that and own it. Like if you say, I enjoy eating like shit, I'm going to eat like shit, great own it, live a happy life, continue to eat unhealthy. Like that's cool. Just own it and don't complain about it. And the same thing with first impression. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to prepare. I'm not, that's fine. As long as you're willing to say to yourself, I understand the consequences of that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be me. I'm going to come on a podcast and be snarky because that's who I am. Cool. That's you. Just realize there's good and bad that comes with that. Yeah. And you brought up a really good point. Like, don't be upset with the results that you didn't get from the actions that you weren't willing to take. Right. And I think at the end of the day, like there's a lot of people and I did. I, the only reason I can say this because I did it, man. I did it a good bit of my life. I was always blaming everybody else for my problems. I was always the victim. I was always looking at people that were fitter than me, people that made more money than me, people that um, were better in relationships than me. And I looked down on those people and I made fun of those people. And it was just me projecting my own stuff onto them because I was so miserable inside. And yeah, I think, yeah, if you're going to be in that position where you don't want to take the steps, yeah, you definitely have to own it. But also know that the way that you're portraying yourself on the outside is going to directly reflect yourself on the inside. Like your external world is going to reflect how you feel about yourself internally. So don't be surprised if your relationships start to fall apart. Don't be surprised if it starts to impact you professionally because like if you're not taking care of yourself, it's going to really impact some of the other areas of your life. And I know one of the things that you did, which was pretty um, courageous, if I must say, is that, you know, after reality TV, you could have gone back into the corporate world, right? You got your MBA, you spent 10 years in corporate banking, like you were very successful, but you made this pivot to go into the entrepreneur space, which took a lot of risk. I'm sure it was not good for your anxiety. Like there's people that are listening to this that are trying to start a side hustle. They're unhappy in their career. And they're like, I need to build something so that I can leave this and, 
spend more time with my family, you know, do things that are more in line with who I want to be. Like looking back now, as you've kind of began to conquer this space a little bit, what have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned along the way? I, I think the the biggest thing is, is you have to identify within yourself what is going to drive you. There's people that want to change and there's people that are become envious of others, but like, what is it that's going to get you to do it and find that and just keep working on it. And for me, I realized there's 168 hours in a week. Why am I spending 40 hours plus a week in a position that I absolutely hate that's putting like mental distress, anxiety, I'm waiting for my friends, I'm waiting for my family. Like, what am I doing? If I'm living in a week of seven days and there's only one week that I feel like I'm myself on Saturday, uh, eight hours, I could wear what I want, how I want, dress the way I want, be who I want, I'm living one of seven days. Like, what is that in a lifetime, right? 70 years, I've lived 10 years of the person I want to be. Why? And you need to figure out for yourself what it is that's going to drive you. For me, that was enough to drive me to say there's 168 hours in the week. I can do enough with what I have, the resources I have, the access I have, the people I know to live a life that I always kind of imagined as opposed to the one that was really created for me since the day that I jumped on what I call the blueprint and the blueprint of going to school, picking my major, going to work, going to recruiting fairs, getting my MBA, getting promoted, getting promoted, getting moved, et cetera. And it took the 168 hours a week and it really took a lot of drive to finally break that blueprint and do some more work for myself as opposed to everyone else. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you kind of have to look at it from a holistic approach and say, okay, like, am I going to be happy doing this for the next 30 years? Like, is the, is, can the mental distress I'm under right now can it continue to get worse? Can it continue to sustain like this amount for so long? Where am I going to be in 10 years if this continues? Right. And a lot of people don't think about that. A lot of people don't think about like the increase in blood pressure or the blood sugar going up or the stress levels or having to get on different medications for anxiety and all that, all those sorts of things because of what happens as a result of them being miserable in their career. So like, what are some, say somebody's like miserable right now in their career, but they financially just can't walk away from their job. Like what are, what are some simple steps you think that looking back that, that you kind of did other than, you know, being on reality TV that helped position yourself to slowly make a change away from like a financially stable job? Yeah, for sure. So I think if you're in a position where like it's, it's a financial issue, you can't move because you're constrained financially. Well, the first thing I would tell you, great. You've identified what the issue is, right? Most people have a big issue of identifying what the actual issue is. So it's financial situation. So one, you have to take care of your personal financials. Two, you have to take care of your compensation. So I would recommend if you need more money, to unlock that gate to happiness, find ways to make more money, uh, potentially within your career or side hustle. So one way is if you're in a company and you think you're underpaid, start benchmarking what you should be paid in the marketplace. Talk to recruiters, talk to other companies and stay within that job, but get paid what you need to get paid to take care of your personal financial situation. One of the big issues is probably if you do some soul searching within your finances, there's probably a lot of inefficiencies that you can tighten up. I mean, if you think about it, uh, over 5,000 years ago, the first currency came around, right? It was the shekel. And then if you think about United States, it was, you know, think about how long ago the US dollar came to fruition, the 1700s. It's one of the most important assets in the world, currency. But so many people go day in and day out without paying attention to their accounts, understanding what they're spending, understanding how to make money on their money. And so take control of your personal financial situation. You know, simple things like for your consumer debt payments. Uh, make sure that those consumer debt payments on an annual basis are less than 20% of your take-home pay. Make sure you're using the right strategies to pay down your student debt. Make sure you're refinancing credit card debt. Make sure that you're taking care of all your debts and finding ways to budget. So if you've identified that you're stuck because of your finances, in my opinion, it's the easiest way to fix it. Work on your personal finance and personal financial situation and work on ways to get compensated more appropriately. And when you do that, you'll be able to quickly plan as to when you can unlock and move appropriately. And for me, I knew October of 2019, 
with the show, it was well before the show, before I went on The Bachelor, I knew that October 2019, I was going to be in a financial position to leave the company and go do whatever I wanted to do. And there was a huge, huge disruption on a reality television show. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. And I think that's a good place for us to, to stop because there's so many nuggets and gems that were dropped on this episode that I think so many people are going to get um, a lot out of, whether it was what we talked about both personally and professionally, whether it was what you just said with people who are unhappy with their jobs and making sure that they're financially secure and like kind of some small steps on how to do that so that they can make that shift. And, um, and I encourage people to, to follow what Jason said. If you're somebody who's miserable right now in your profession and you're looking to become more financially secure, take a look at your budget, take a look at your balance sheet, find little ways you can make more money, um, benchmark yourself to see how you can even increase your, your salary or your wages, uh, given what you're doing right now. So Jason, this has been amazing. If people want to connect with you more, they want to listen to your podcast, they want to maybe follow you so that they can get more information on when your book comes out, where, where can they do that? Yeah, for sure. So thanks again for having me. And if uh, you're interested in connecting on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, my username is Jason underscore Tartik. And then on Instagram, if you go to restart underscore reset, that's where we have everything under the restart umbrella. We do one-on-one consulting. We have a newsletter that goes out every Monday. We have a text line. We have a networking group. We have a trading app. We got a whole lot of stuff. And we also have a a book that's coming out called The Restart Roadmap. Uh, Pre-sale is going to be in February and it's going to be the whole premise is what you can do to get the most out of your professional life uh, day in and day out in a strategy and a roadmap to do just that. So I look forward to connecting with anyone. If you want to shoot me an email and just say, Hi, emails restart at jasontardic.com. Incredible. I will make sure to plug where people can connect with you in the show notes. And Jason wanted to once again, thank you for coming on. And for those listening, what I'd like you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Jason said about anxiety. Maybe it was something that he said about building confidence. Maybe it was something he said about a first impression or even something that he just said recently about um, leaving a job and finances, whatever it was, tag Jason, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.